just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Did you know that people hunt in the upper avenues? I did not. Until I was in casual conversation with someone who told me not only is it legal to hunt up there, but apparently it's a great spot. So what does that mean for hikers, bikers, and our dogs? Today, we got the scoop from the hunters themselves. It's Wednesday, January 3rd. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Perry Hall, you are the chair of Utah's Backcountry Hunters and Anglers chapter and a Salt Laker. Is it true that people hunt in the Upper Avenues? It is. Yeah. Um, the Upper Avenues is an awesome place for Salt Lake residents and everyone around to pursue game. Without asking you to spot burn or like give up or divulge a good spot, what is there to hunt in the avenues? There's quite a lot. In my years of hunting in the Upper Avenues and kind of basically north of I-80, um, along the foothills, I've run into mule deer, elk, wild turkey, grouse, cottontail rabbits. I mean, there's a plethora of game to pursue up there. So it's it's kind of a, it's a great place to go if you're looking for a quick, easy jaunt. But there's, there is a ton of game to pursue up there, which is awesome. Is it year round? Uh, it is not, no. So the hunting up there does have to coincide with the Utah Division of Wildlife's seasons and season dates. So you have to purchase a tag or draw a tag for certain, like on a general hunting license, you could theoretically go up there in certain areas where legal with a shotgun and pursue grouse, but you wouldn't be able to hunt mule deer or elk per se without a specific mule deer or elk tag. Got it. Okay. I do think hearing this may raise some anxiety for dog walkers because when I think of the upper avenues, I'm like, it's basically a giant dog park, whether or not that is legal. The idea that it's the hunt, the dog walkers and not the hunters breaking the law here. Um, but when I think about like outfitting myself and my dog to be around hunters, I'm usually focused on the backcountry, right? That's when we're both totally. in orange. So what should people know about sharing upper avenues trails with hunters? One thing to know is that it is very rare that you're going to encounter someone, you know, actively hunting on a trail. Not saying that it doesn't happen. I've used those trails to stock in on animals in the past. But for dog walkers and the general public, um, really, like, don't be terribly concerned. You're going to see them in the fall, um, sometime in early spring for the turkey hunt. But for the most part, the people that are out there are conscious, respectable. They know what they're doing. You know, part of the tenets of hunter safety is know your target and what's beyond it, as well as firearm safety. Mm -hmm. So people are conscious about what they're doing. And I run my dog off leash in the upper avenues all the time, even though it is technically against the rules. So <laughs> I would say that those dog walkers um, just be a little bit more conscious about it. Come mid to late September through even early mid-January, there are hunts going on. 
And there are fines, potentially fines for dogs that will um, or could be harassing wildlife if they get reported. I've had to yell at people to call their dogs as I was stalking on an animal on a certain area of the upper avenues. These dogs just came barreling off the trail and they were chasing the deer around. And that is technically that is a harsher penalty than just walking your dogs off leash. So just to be conscious of that. And like I said, I'm no angel. I've run my dog off leash all, all the time up there. She loves it. So if you are concerned, a little bit of bright color, blaze orange is kind of the industry standard. Some states have adopted blaze pink, colors that don't naturally occur in nature. But know that the people that are hunting up there are aware and probably more knowledgeable about what they're seeing than you may think they are. Yeah. Well, the trails in the upper avenues have been a source of conflict in the past few years. The city wanted to build new mountain biking trails and hiking trails, and they did somewhat and then kind of put a pause on it. Now it's like resumed. It's been tough to follow. But the debate that it's brought to the forefront is really about who these trails are for and how they should be managed. The word NIMBY comes up a lot, not in my backyard kind of debate. I think I've heard exclusively from mountain bikers and Save Our Foothills on this issue. But while I have you here, I want to know what thoughts might be rising up in the hunting community. Totally. And as a mountain biker, as a trail runner, and a new trail runner too, and I kind of have acknowledged the fact that I might have been a little bit, not rude, but not conscious of trail runners when I was mountain biking in the past. Mm. So I've had a turned over a new leaf. I think some of these directional trails they're building are incredibly valid and will separate user groups. Um, but if we look at it from the wildlife aspect, um, especially like looking into the lens of 22, 23 winter, the deer herd in northern Utah, kind of above Payson, suffered drastically. And so as we continue to think about development in the upper foothills, we really need to take a conscious effort to think about, hey, are these animals coming out and migrating out of their summer and fall habitat and coming into the foothills so that they can find forage at lower elevations. And it's really interesting. We don't have any sort of seasonal closures on almost any trail in the state, whereas other states do have seasonal closures around calving times in the spring for both mule deer and elk. Um, and, you know, we saw it last year with how many times the highway had to close for elk. We saw the elk on the golf course there on the side of I-80 down here in Sugar House. It was, yeah. it was cool to see these animals in, a, in, a, in an environment that was urban. You know, two bull elk had to be removed out of basically my neighborhood in Sugar House last year. Um, but that's concerning because we continue to encroach. And the more encroachment, the less habitat these animals are going to have. And while it's not supremely critical habitat, it is a place for these animals to go. So when you start to think about, yeah, like, let's build a trail at Mount Wire that's a little bit more easy to access than the Mount Wire Ridge. A, I don't want to see a machine cut switchback trail at Mount Wire from all the way across the valley. And B, that's going to increase the population of people running up Mount Wire and heading up Mount Wire in the wintertime and potentially increase the disturbance to those animals who are trying to seek refuge and just survive through a harsh winter. It's interesting you brought up the idea of urban sprawl, because when I think about, quote unquote, urban hunting, that's kind of where my brain goes. Like as our city grows out more and more, we are facing the problem of keeping animals in the mountains. Is hunting near urban areas something that BCHA considers a solution to this problem or like something that can mitigate this problem? Yeah, so BHA really focuses on access opportunity and habitat. 
those are kind of the three things that we're focused on. We want people to be able to go hunting, fishing, recreating, whatever it is. We're not a specifically species-focused organization. We're not a specifically cause-based organization. We are a public lands organization. So we want people to have access. And one thing that the Foothills provides is that access. Um, and, you know, you bring up a really interesting point where a lot of cities in kind of southern Utah County, down towards Utah County, have started to implement urban deer management programs through the city where they actually will have archers hunt deer that have become kind of an encroachment into the public area. Mm. And that's kind of a private thing. And the meat, I believe, does get donated. If not donated, it goes to a good cause of some sort. But I don't think we have that in Salt Lake right now. And one thing that's kind of helping this problem, this potential problem, quote unquote problem, is that if you buy or have a mule deer tag or an elk tag, an archery mule deer or an archery elk tag in Utah, you're legally allowed to hunt what's called the Wasatch Front Extended Archery Area. And that um, the boundaries of that are, and I don't know the specifics, but from somewhere close to Draper all the way through Farmington, if not farther north, and it's Salt Lake County side. Um, there's a couple other areas in the state that do this and it turns into a great mule deer hunt because it's in November the year rutting. So you see a lot of really big bucks. It's a really cool time to be in the mountains, um, but it's not designed to be that big buck rut hunt. It's designed to be a management program that the division has put into place to kind of keep the pressure on the animals a little bit before winter really sets in. It ends November 30th. So you would probably see an influx of archers in those trails that you were talking about in the upper avenues kind of, September 17th through November 30th. It's kind of just meant to put pressure on the animals and kind of keep them a little bit farther away. That increased pressure will help disperse them into more of that mid-elevation habitat, maybe try to help keep them out of the upper avenues. The nimbyism of, we don't want these animals eating our bushes, even though you built a house in critical winter habitat. Right. Um, it's a, it, The program is designed to help mitigate that potential conflict between wildlife and the urban environment that we live in. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 
80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. I mean, as an avid hiker with a dog, my fear is not deer, though I will say on a winter road at 6 p.m., my fear is deer, the white, the white knuckle driving I've had to adjust to. But I mean, I'm afraid of like mountain lions and some of these like big, big animals that we're starting to see more and more on our trails. So I like the idea of keeping deer pushed up because hopefully it keeps their predators pushed up. Totally. And you have to think about it like that because it's if there's no food, they're not going to be there, you know. And so we have started to see an increase in, in cougar and mountain lion sightings and bobcat sightings in the foothills, you know, especially last winter with that harsh winter where those deer were trying to get as far down the hill as possible. I remember I did one one last walk with a dog in like around December 8th of 2022 from the zoo trailhead there. Mm-hmm. And I saw a beautiful buck deer. I saw tons of does. I saw like a handful of elk, which was really rare up there. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm not coming back with my dog until springtime because it's so rare to see them that close to the trail. I'm talking bull elk 200 yards off of the like double track portion of the shoreline trail. And so when you when the animals come lower, the predators come lower, and that's when we see those interactions. They're there all the time. Like mountain lions live in the foothills all the time, um, especially kind of the upper City Creek drainage. Um, those mountain lions are out there, and we live kind of in symbiosis with them um, throughout the year. Um, but they're pretty well aware of like where they're not going to be. They're not going to be in Dry Creek as much in early mid fall, early mid spring when it's peak mountain bike season, when the trails are dry and everyone's frothing to get out and they can't get to Park City yet or they can't get to their other trails that they like. Yeah, they'll stay away from those areas. They don't love people. I'm so interested in this idea of like trails and these urban wildlife kind of areas being shared between hikers and hunters. What are some of the most like popular or frequent conflicts or run-ins? I've luckily never experienced, you know, a major conflict. And, you know, walking down this major trail that we hunt quite regularly, especially in springtime, we've been successful with turkeys and the fan, you know, we've got this big vest with this big deep pocket. So the, the turkey doesn't really, isn't really visible, but the tail feathers are sticking out over here. Mm-hmm. You know, we get some weird looks. We get a lot of people who are like, oh, wow, that's awesome. Um, and I think public perception has kind of changed in the near term mm. because of the local food movement, the wanting to find clean sources of protein, the organic uh, farm to table, you know, whatever buzzword is popular yeah. this week in sourcing food. Right. So I think people are a little bit more keen to it now. Mm. Um, we do kind of get blank stares and kind of like questionable looks. And a lot more in- intrigue. I've never been confronted with like, why are you here? What are you doing? Is this legal? I've been confronted with, oh, you can hunt up here? That's really interesting. I had no idea. Um, and then it's, you know, I put on my little trail steward cap and say, these are the seasons. You know, people are going to be up here right now because it's that extended archery hunt in the fall. You're going to see potentially a lot more archers. You may see people packing meat out. And this is just a way for them to 
provide meat for themselves through the year. It's a great way to find or provide yourself and your family with good quality meat. You take out the whole factory farming situation. So it's a lot more local food system, which is great. And I would say if people are concerned or or wondering why people are up there, just have the conversation. I'm sure a lot of hunters would love to talk about it. You'll get some gruff guys who probably don't want to, you know, dispose or disclose what they're doing and talk about it too much because they want to be kind of secretive. Um, But for the most part, if you're like, oh, you can hunt up here and people will be thrilled to talk to you about what they're doing. We are all using the trails to access, you know, for the most part, you won't see hunters kind of in the middle of the shoreline trail. If you were using that as an example, you know, between Dry Creek and City Creek, that major intersection at the top of the upper City Creek Trail, like you're probably not going to see hunters just walking along that trail. Yeah. You'll see hunters using some of these other major trailheads as access points. They'll use the trail for a little bit and then they'll get off and they'll be on a ridge line or they'll be in a draw or a walla, sorry, a wash. And you won't really see them. You won't even know they're there, especially turkey hunting where it's a game of quiet. You know, I I can't tell you how many people would be walking by within a couple hundred yards of us set up, you know, facing a different direction than the trail and just not have any idea that we're there. (laughs) Okay, except that kind of gives me chills, Perry. Oh, no, totally. I totally get it. Like I'm like a single woman walking my dog and I'm like, there are men in all these bushes. (laughs) (laughs) Totally understandable. And that that's the like, I think another thing that's really great about the hunting, you know, broader community around hunting is, you know, I was listening, I can't remember if it was a podcast or an article that I read, but a guy was like, I'm sending my daughter to college. She's never been to college. We're a hunting family. She hunts. And he was like, if you're ever in a weird situation or something tough, like find a guy with a bunch of hunting stickers on his truck and he'll help you out. Like that's the kind of community that hunters are. Like Mm. we're like, like, you know, I hunt ducks out at Farmington Bay and you know, we're the, we're the first people to like not drive by a truck that slid off the road in, in a winter storm out in Farmington. We're going to be like helping those guys out. There's a whole Facebook page about my boats broke down and someone's like, I'll put, hook up my boat right now and be there in 10 minutes and give you a tow out. Hmm. Like we're a, we're a group of people who are there to help. We're independent in our pursuit, but we're community based in kind of our, our passion and our thought about the greater hunting community. So hmm. it's not something that I would be concerned about at all independent in our pursuit community based about our passion i'm like that that should be the new american slogan <laughs> i'm not that i actually just came up with that <laughs> one i would have surprised myself a little bit yeah perry 2024 <laughs> i i mean listen obviously hunting is not for everyone um even those of us who eat meat like aren't necessarily ready to take that step but i do think There are a lot of people who are hunting curious, but see it as kind of an inaccessible activity. Like almost everyone I know who has learned to hunt has learned from a family member. It seems very generational. So what tips do you have for people who might be interested? Totally. There's a couple, there's a bunch of really good resources out there. Just a couple off the top of my head, you know, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, the organization that I represent, uh, we have what we call our Hunting for Sustainability program. And this is a multi-week program that we run in the spring. You have to have your hunter safety. So you have to have gone through that portion of the process with the Division of Wildlife Resources. But after that, we take a list of people that are interested. We actually have a kind of selection process with an application, kind of like your almost like a job application. Hmm. Why why do you want to do this? What's going on? Um, And then it's a multi-week program where we have class nights, multiple nights, and that's 
ethics and blood trailing and glassing and tactics and where to look for animals. And we have the Division of Wildlife Brain Conservation Officers, and they give us the whole rundown on laws and what to look at, common issues. And we go to Lee K, which is the public shooting center that the Division of Wildlife Resources runs out in West Valley. And we do a range day where we work with these people to you know, you have to have your rifle at least sighted in, and there are services that you can pay for to have that done around here. Uh, but we work on sighting in your rifle or your bow or your shotgun, um, sitting in you know, different shooting positions, things you're going to encounter in the wild. Mm-hmm. And then we wrap it all up with um, the Division of Wildlife Resources has a depredation program. And this is where they, a farmer will call and say, hey, I have all of these deer or all of these elk eating my alfalfa. I need some of them gone. And then, unfortunately, the division goes and shoots them. Mm-hmm. Um, those animals are donated so that meat goes to good cause. So we don't have to worry about there being an issue there. But we actually will get one of those deer and go through the whole process and like the whole butchering session, cook some of it right there, Wow! process okay. the whole thing. And that gives you that whole, a little bit more confidence going into the field as a new hunter where you're not like, oh, I was successful on my first hunt, which is extremely rare. But if you're successful on your first hunt, you're looking at a mule deer or an elk on the ground. You know, you're looking at potentially an 800 pound animal what do I do? And we give you the tools to do that. Yeah. Um, a couple other things are definitely check out the Division of Wildlife Resources. Um, they have some hunt mentorship programs available. Um, and I may be getting the verbiage on that wrong. Um, but it's where if you have someone who you know that will take you under their wing, you don't have to take hunter safety for three years. You can get a tag and you can hunt with this person. They have to be in the field with you whenever you go. They will bring you under their wing and walk you through the process. Um, And then if there's any women specifically, there's a group called Artemis Sportswomen, which does a lot with new hunters and bringing women into the space. And it's, you know, it's really hard to talk about it being a white male a little bit. I don't want to get crazy liberal here because we are a hunting organization, but there's an organization called Hunters of Color, which does a lot to bring in people of color into hunting. They're super popular in New York and some of these other more metropolitan areas. We have a, I don't know if we actually have a chapter here in Utah or not, hmm. um, but that's a great group if you are someone of color who's interested in in hunting and it, find it intimidating because of that racial divide. Mm-hmm. Um it's that's a great organization to check out too. So there's a lot of really cool options for wherever you are to find an easy way in. It's a great way to get into it. It is intimidating um, for sure. Yeah, it feels like just a really good opportunity to embarrass myself. <laughs> Trust me, it happens to the best of us. I've been, yeah. I mean, I've only been hunting for um, you know just about ten years now, and. I've been lucky to be very successful, but you still make mistakes. You're never, it's never again, it, it's, you're never mastering it. Yeah. And even the people you see on social media who are, you know, the pros or the experts or the, the people who are always successful, the social media personalities, you know, they're still making mistakes. They're still learning every time they're in a, in the field. Uh, and it's very easy. I mean, these animals have way heightened senses of smell and hearing and have been bred or adapted to survive. So we're always on the losing side. Um, <laughs> you know, hunter success numbers are quite low in, in the majority of Utah. And it's because these animals are quite smart. Well, we will link uh, some of those resources in our show notes for folks. And Perry Hall of Utah's Backcountry Hunters and Anglers chapter. Thank you so much and good luck out there. No problem. This is great. Thank you. In case your New Year's resolution is self-reliance, I linked the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Hunting for Sustainability course in the show notes for you. I also linked the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources Hunting Mentorship Program. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. 
Thank you for listening. Happy New Year. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Bye.